Today's scripture reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is God's word. So one of the things I appreciate about what we were doing with Monumental is you see even behind me these different mesas, which basically are a rock tower. And much of what was happening in VBS was an examination of the character of our God. Well, now listen to this verse, okay? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In other words, God's character is our mesa. God's character is our refuge. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to be able to talk about some aspects of God's character that I think when you see it, it is going to give you a new perspective on who our God is, that you're going to appreciate him even more. Now, basically, what I want to do this morning is simply answer five questions. Here's the first one. What is heaven like? (laughs) I don't know. But I know a way to catch a glimpse. Listen to this passage. It says, the heavens, this is from Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. In other words, it's possible to look at heaven and catch a glimpse into who God is and what he is like. Now, I kind of like astronomy stuff and so on so I'm going to not go all geeky on you but I do want to help you see something that is really quite amazing so uh, what I want to show you is uh, and let's see where'd my ruler go oh there it is okay so uh, this is a one meter distance okay and I don't know how well you can see it but right at the end of this is a piece of paper that has a one millimeter square in it so if I was to look at this, I'm seeing a very little amount of anything through that hole. So if you were to go and look at the night sky and look through that hole, you're only seeing a very small part of what is in the night sky, right? So there are a couple places in the night sky that are that size, it's basically about two arc, sec, uh, two arc minutes by two arc minutes. Uh, if you were to look into the night sky, there are a couple places where if you look, you would see nothing, absolutely nothing. And so the Hubble telescope, which has been a really wonderful device, has, they decided, let's focus. Now this happened about 20 years ago and it took about 10 years to accomplish what I'm gonna show you. But about 20 years ago, they decided, let's focus on one of those spots where there's nothing. So basically, they focused the Hubble telescope at a spot that's no bigger than a one millimeter square at a distance of one meter. And basically what they did, they didn't know if there's anything there, but they collected photons, basically about one at a time to create an image. And then over the years, they actually did some different bandwidths. They did some thermal imaging, and they used some different types of radiation that they measured. And they were able to create an image 
of what is in that small little dot. And so I'd like to show it to you. This is called, this particular one is called the Hubble Extreme Deep Field Study. And this is showing you just what is in one millimeter. Here it is. <laughs> now you know what you're looking at? 5,000, about 5,000 galaxies like the Milky Way, plus numerous other stars and other uh, heavenly particles. That's just one little dot. In other words, you look at that picture, and if you were, in order to get a view of the entire night sky, you would have to have 13 million of those. <laughs> in other words, listen to the verse again, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Look at that picture, and that is one thirteen millionth of what we can see in the night sky around us. So when we ask the question, what does heaven look like? What is it like? That's just a little peak of what it is like. It is glorious. That's the created world. And whatever is the realm in which we will go, where Jesus dwelled in all eternity, that's just a little glimpse of what it's like. And the kids have been saying, awesome God. I look at that picture and I'm going, awesome, awesome, awesome God. That's just a glimpse. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. That's just a glimpse of how glorious God is and how glorious is the place that he dwells. Second question, why did Jesus leave heaven? <laughs> I mean, why would he leave such a place? John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send the Son into the world. I'm quoting the next verse, which often gets left out. Need to include it. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus left the glory of heaven. And that picture I showed you is just a kind of a, a, a needle head of what it looks like. He left the glory of heaven to come to this planet because Father said, I want you to do this because I want these people for myself. He loves us enough to come to this planet. Jesus came because Father asked him to. Now, what was that like? You know, what was it like for Jesus to come to glo from glory to live in our world? <laughs> Second Corinthians 8, 9 gives us a little glimpse. That's the passage that Will read a little bit earlier. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The difference between heaven and earth is so extreme. And not just because it's glorious and filled with light, our planet is a sin-sick planet. God's will is done perfectly in heaven. Here on earth, not so much. His name is honored in heaven. Here, not so much. 
Jesus left the glory of heaven to come and dwell in a broken world, in a place that stinks, because Father told him to go do that. Now, I'm going to give you an image, and I'm confident that this image is actually a poor substitute, but it's the best one I know of that I can draw from my own personal experience. So I'm going to explain to you how what Jesus did, can't even come close to this, but it was like going from sunshine to a sewer. So before being a pastor, I worked in heavy construction, and often the projects we worked on, some of them would be roads, but some of them would be installation of sewers. And I need to explain to you that there are two types of sewers. There is what's called a storm sewer, and that's rainwater. And then there's something called a sanitary sewer. And that's the wrong word to put on it because it's the most unsanitary thing I can think of. So what it means is that there would be a, a pipe. In fact, I am reasonably confident that where you live, under the street that you live on, there is a pipe that is a sewer pipe. And there's a T on it different places. And basically, this is a line that goes to your house. And so when you flush the toilet, it goes into this sanitary sewer. Now, when I worked in heavy construction, there was a town, the town of Ording. I don't know what it was, but a town of three or 4,000 people. And our company got the bid to replace their sanitary sewer system. So what that meant is that, you know, here's a section about 300 feet long, which is an average distance between manholes, where you would rip out what is there, you would put in a new sewer line, and then you would tie into it the, the tees and the feeds from each home into that, into that sewer. And so what that meant is that that sewer pipe, once you installed it, was actually live. Live means what you think it means. <laughs> there was a certain section where our work was failing. We had a certain way to do that. This is before a lot of today's technology. You would put a TV camera through it. But back then, you would have a device that would air pressurize a section. You'd make sure it was good, and then you'd pull that ahead, etc. And they discovered that there was a section that was failing and what that means is that you would have to dig this up and find the joint where it's not working and then you'd pour a concrete collar around it. This kind of pipe wasn't invented back then. It would all be concrete pipe. Or someone could go inside the pipe and use a quick-setting concrete and actually seal the joints. Now, now back I don't know what the economics are now, but it would cost thousands of dollars to dig up and then put the concrete collar around. If you had four or five joints that were failing, that would really mess things up. So I'm on the crew, and they kind of line us all up, and they say, here's the situation. Uh, this particular section, we've had a number of joints that are failing. We can dig it up. But we would be interested if there was anyone here who would be willing to volunteer to go in the pipe and repair the lines. <laughs> 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 
Was it because of the 50 cents an hour extra hazardous duty pay? <laughs> no. I'll explain why in just a minute. But what that meant is this. Oh, by the way, I should show you this. So I want you to imagine what this is like. By the way, the only pipe we could find, this is much bigger. The pipe was actually 24-inch diameter. This is a 36. So there was not enough room inside there for me to even like do what I'm doing right now with my arms. You had to start with them like this and they would stay out there and you'd do the thing. So uh, this here is a pole. If I extend it, this is about 11 feet. And so if I raise up like that, that's the dirt, okay? This would be about 20 feet underground. So right about there, maybe where that, whatever that piece is up there, just imagine dirt all the way up that high. And so I would come down a manhole, about every 300 feet you'd have a manhole and I would come down the manhole and then I would, they would have a, a cart that I would get on and they would, and they would pull me, you know, they had a rope. Somebody up would be 300 feet that way and they would pull me to the right location and then I would have a bucket with some special solution and I would repair the, the leak in the concrete. And I remember going through the line and you know, through my mind I'd be going, please don't flush, please don't flush, please don't flush. Because you know, there's a, there's a T here and there you know, every 50 or 100 feet, you know, one from each side. And I'm basically, you know, I would use a special type of concrete that, oh yeah, here's where the leak is, I can see it, so I would fix it, I would put it in here, and I would go like that, and hold it for 60 seconds, and then, you know, okay, I got that one, pull me ahead to the next one, you know, and they would pull me ahead to that particular one, and I would repair it. How many of you would like a permanent employee doing this. So that's what I did. Trust me, being slimed is nothing. <laughs> and uh, what I've shown you uh, doesn't I am confident in your mind, despite whatever image you're creating, it doesn't come close to the actual experience. So here's the question, <laughs> Jim, what were you thinking? Why in the world would you do that? Well, I didn't tell you one detail. My dad was the superintendent of this company. <laughs> and he did not order me to do this. But I realized that for my dad, if we've got a line that's failing, I know what he's carrying. And I did it because I love my dad. And I want to do what he wants and what serves his interest. So what was it like for Jesus to come to our world? Again, this is... This is bad because up above, I'm in the town of Ording. There's a little river goes by. It's beautiful. It's sunshine. Go to a sewer. I'm 20 feet underground crawling through this thing. 
despite the fact that that was awful, it doesn't come close to what Jesus did when he came from the glory of heaven and came to our world. Why did he do it? Because Father said, I want you to. And why did Father tell him that? Because he said, I love these people and I want them to dwell with me in glory and not to have to keep living in the sewer. That's why. He dwelled in a place where God is honored. His will is done perfectly. It was heaven. And he came to a world where sin makes people mean and hurtful, a world that hates and would hate him. But he didn't just go through a sewer. In the case of his journey, he came and dwelled and lived in a place that was the opposite of heaven. And he walked to a cross. And on that cross, he did what I did for Courtney. Only much more, he did it for everyone in this room. And he said, they deserve it. But I will take their place. And he did. Was it worth it? Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus would say, come into the sewer that is this planet and walking to a cross was worth it. Because you're worth it. Having you with him in the glory of heaven and we just saw a little pinhead of what it looks like. It'll be worth it, says Jesus. Now, it says that Jesus perfected faith. And I want to help you understand what that means, okay? So, this is a chair, obviously. All right, let's think about faith for a minute, okay? For example, what if I said, I believe I can fly. If I'll just step off of here, just leap off of here face, face first, I can fly. What will happen? You'll get hurt. <laughs> You'll smack on the ground. No amount of believing something can make it help you if it's not true. But if I say, I believe that I can sit in this chair and it will hold me, what will happen when I do? It will hold me. The fact is that the chair is capable of supporting my weight. Believing doesn't make that true but believing allows me to take advantage and gain the benefit of that truth. So when it says in the passage, Hebrews 12, 2, that Jesus is the perfecter of faith, what it means is Jesus made it possible for everyone who believes in what he did on the cross to actually enjoy the benefit of it. 
Our believing doesn't make it true. It's true. Jesus died for us. He left glory to go through the sewer, to go to the cross, because he loves you and wants you for himself. And when he died on the cross, he perfected faith, meaning he accomplished everything necessary so that faith, when it's placed in him, works. Just like a chair works. We don't believe something to make it true. We believe something to enjoy the benefit of what is true. And that's what Jesus did when he came to our planet. So I have one last question. I'm going to show you two verses, actually, I think. Uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that we might receive adoption as sons. He doesn't just want to save us. He wants to name us as his children. He wants us to be sons and daughters. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants to give us a gift, the free gift which is eternal life with him in glory. Now, how much good does a gift do you when you don't open it? Leave it in the box. None. You have to unwrap it, pull it out, and then you can take advantage of all that it offers. Jesus Christ is giving to every person in this room a free gift that will do you nothing unless you unwrap it. And the way that you unwrap it is by faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Jesus has not just provided a chair. He has provided a way for us to be the adopted sons and daughters of God who will dwell with him for all time in his presence. That's the gift. And the way you unwrap the gift is by faith. You can open the gift by faith when you use that truth as the focus of your trust, then you will receive the benefit of what it offers, and you can do that right now. So I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I would like to give you an opportunity to unwrap your gift if you've never done that. You can do that by means of prayer. Prayer is the way to unwrap the gift, a prayer of faith. And you would say something like this, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I deserve to be judged for what I've done. But Jesus came to our world, died on the cross, and died in my place. And I am trusting in him as my Savior who died in my place. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life as your son or daughter. Thank you for letting me unwrap this gift right now. In Jesus' name, amen.